Well, good afternoon, gents. We are back for... Good afternoon to Ian again. Ian, what, what episode are we on? <laughs> 35, I think. 35? Ian's a statistician. You know he'll always know the number. <laughs> we are on... I bet he can tell you how many listeners we've had for every single episode as well. We are on uh, episode 35 of the Endurance Podcast. And uh, that's two in... This is a uh, two in two weeks, isn't it? Which is... That's pretty much on a roll for us, to be honest isn't it sure is. so hopefully it won't uh, dive off a cliff after this uh, after today's podcast um i mean i feel like based on tradition we should start with the weather it's quite mild here but it's a bit grey and overcast but it's generally quite mild uh, mike yeah it's just wales here basically it's not nice it's not bad it's just great just wales just wales <laughs> uh ian yeah it's a bit overcast here in birmingham but uh it's uh, it's quite mild. Still running shorts and vest this morning, so yeah, yeah. mild. Went mountain biking yesterday, and I put put winter tights and a winter top, and I was absolutely baking. Yeah. Very mild, yeah. So, mm, well, um, we've got a good show today. We've timed it quite well because we're going to talk about uh, winter training, aren't we? And I know uh, Mike's got a lot of the uh, listeners' questions as well, or several listeners' questions. Um, about uh, everything we need to know about planning your training for the winter ahead. So that is going to be the focus of our topic. But again, as is per tradition on this show, we should open with tweets of the week. Tweets of the week, for anybody that doesn't know, it's very simple. You've got to read out your last three or four tweets, sum them up, uh, abbreviate your last three or four tweets, and you have to try and do it in exactly 60 seconds. Anything more or anything less is considered a devastating loss. And uh, and winner will be decided at the end of this competition. So, um, Mike, you traditionally go first, don't you? And then just nail it. You normally get like 60.01 seconds or something and then just blow it out the water. And me and Ian are just devastated. So just ramble on because we know we're not going to win. So I think we should start with you again, Mike, to set the bar. Um, Ian, I'll take, are you I'll take the pressure. Let's go first if you're happy to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are you timing me in? Yeah, I can time. Okay. Uh, Mike, you're under starter's orders. You ready? So, Ian, Ian, you're oh. the starter, just in case you didn't get that. Oh, sorry. You ready, Mike? Yeah. Go. Yeah, when are you ready? So I did a five-second silence just as a tribute to, to wish Mark a happy 50th, just to give you a shout at winning this week. And now I'll start. The first one was just um, more a signpost to a tweet or a series of tweets in and around everything Brighton Marathon. There seems to be a bit of a disaster going on on all fronts down there. So um, so some good people sharing some good info there. Message from us really is just be careful if you're thinking of entering that race right now. Um, second, the second and third ones are my tweets of the week, which were uh, regarding answering a question about how much progress do I want patients to make when they're in rehab? And I generally say 10% a week improvement in pain and performance is, is a sensible strategy. Some people get much more, some people get less. But if you aim for 10% improvement each week, it's, it's realistic. And then the final one is, is regarding a, a conversation I had with an athlete, very demotivated, Olympic sprint distance triathlete, very demotivated having to go indoors to do some pool swims, finding it hard to do them. And I just threw the question back to them. Why don't you have a couple of months off? Why don't you concentrate on the bike and the run and 
wait till swimming in the new year and it's something they never thought about but something they're going to give a go so so you don't have to be very traditional or, or stick to what everyone else is doing if it's not working for you it's probably my longest tweets of the week ever yeah i mean I, I wasn't timing it but it sounded to me like it was way over but we need to go to the uh, official here uh, ian he's on mute i'm mute ian you've muted yourself ian sorry um there's a knock at the door um yeah, I started timing it with a calendar in the end. Um, no. <laughs> it was uh, 1 minute 21.7. Oh, You've got that's, a chance, gents. you got a chance. That's dreadful. Only because it's your birthday. Only because it's your birthday. <laughs> uh, Ian, are you going to go next? I, I think you should go next, Mark. Well, I can understand that. <laughs> He's still, still playing his tweets. One. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go next. It's okay. It's okay. I'm going to have to go next. Right. Are you ready? Yeah, go on. You count me down because it's going to be to the second. Three, two, one, go. Okay. My first tweet uh, comes from Lakeland 100. It's our uh, food bank 10. At the moment, through Lakeland 100, we are donating £10,000 to local food banks in donations of £500 or £2,500 donations. So I'm just putting this in there because if you are a food bank or an organisation in the North West, then email organiser at lakeland100.com because we may have some funds there to help you. And if you like what we do, also to anybody who's listening here, get on the Lake 100 page and enter the festive virtual because all money goes to charities, food banks, everything else. So that takes place in December. Get on it. My second tweet is that I was uh, I was 50 on Sunday and my uh, six-year-old daughter, Elsie, wrote me a lovely card in which inside the card it said simply these words, sorry you are more than halfway through your life. Through was spelled F-R-O-O. That was a lovely message from a six-year-old daughter. And finally, my final tweet is at our bike shop, Croston Cycles, near Leyland. We have the Christmas decorations up and I don't even care. Ooh. 63.7 seconds. Ooh. Come on. Just, just when I thought I had a chance. Get in. Didn't even cheat then. He's left you a window there. He's left you a three and a half second window. <laughs> More than we we'll usually get from you. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Right. Three, two, one, go. Okay, the first of mine I've, I've only just recently um, re- replied to and retweeted, but it was uh, from a colleague of mine, Nikos Tumanis, who um, put out a tweet saying, Lance Armstrong once said, pain is temporary, quitting lasts forever. And in this latest article that published they've been looking at the way people disengage from goals and saying that actually it might be good to have strategic use of resources to know when to withdraw from very difficult goals which is interesting in contrast to a lot of dogma in sport. Uh, another one was a retweet from Damien Riley who put out a video about um, uh, uh, Djokovic um, when his team had basically been putting mixing up a drink but looked to be very shady in the way that they're doing it so there's been quite a lot of discussion around that online found that quite interesting they were trying to hide what they were putting in the bottle that's led to quite a lot of discussion and then my last one was a retweet about a suspended athlete and the agent saying that they were completely guilty which was diana kipyuga from boston marathon which is a rarity and i'll finish there oh 104 104 someone sneaked it on his birthday come on losers 
Fantastic. First bet 50 as well. But for any listeners who are concerned, normal service will resume next episode, of course. <laughs> no, no, I'm on it now. This is giving me the motivation I need. I've been down this week. Now I'm now giving me motivation. I'm going to get back. I'm going to be training this week. Bang on 60 seconds. I'm going to be training on tweets of the week, twice a day. Super. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to take that victory forward this week. And now we're there. I'm going to get myself a little medal. I think I've got some medals. Auto in. finish, wasn't it? Hey. Auto finish, that. Not really. No, Ian. I clear it. Um, whatever you say. If it makes you feel better, oh yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so we are talking about winter training, which obviously is very timely because we're coming into November now, and it's probably the time where most people are thinking about setting some goals for next year and getting the training plan sorted for this winter. Um, so where do we start with this? Um, uh, Mike, do you want to start with? Is there any questions that we had from people? That, messaged in that you want to yeah yeah i'll set the scene really so so people may or not know that i do monthly webinars and those monthly webinars that i hold tend to be on topical themes based on the time of the year and right now the one that i've got coming up next week is uh my top 10 tips or my things to avoid over winter training so when i've been advertising these these webinars on on, um, social media i always invite people to submit questions in advance and um, and I've had a series submitted, which which I thought would be good to get. Some of them will definitely tip over into your arenas, so I thought it'd be good for us to to chew the fat on some of these. Um, that they're, they're very sort of common, um, in no particular order. There's, there's one really nice one that came in from um, from an Ian for Ian. Funny enough, um, every season I really struggle with the winter blues. Not so much to do with um, having to change my training but to do my training in the winter i I'm, I'm feel forever away from race day um, it feels like they don't really matter or mean much right now any tips psychologically for, for getting me in a better place to cope with my winter training yeah it's a, an interesting one this isn't it not one that's uh, that uncommon um i think quite often um yeah, changing things up and making things a bit different in the winter can help with this um, in terms of uh, ensuring that you know, we're doing something fresh and something that's exciting, but also thinking about what we enjoy most about in our training. So if we, I think sometimes if we try to be a bit too task focused, too far out, um, then we're not always doing the things that we find most enjoyable. So I think, yeah, focus your training definitely on, on the things that you enjoy most. I know Mark talks a lot about, you know, mountain biking in the winter and going out and enjoying the mountain bike, doing things that, you know, maybe that you can't do. If, if you're a runner, then it might be getting out on the trails and out into the hills. Um, but certainly for me, since I, so I used to train on the roads year round, but since I switched um, and the, so I've got six months where I'm more on the road and six months on the trail, that making things fresh and changing things in the winter is something that you look forward to. Um, I think the other thing you can do is um, uh, potentially consider use of uh, imagery. So that could be helpful as well. So sort of trying to um, put yourself in the frame of mind that you might be for competition or trying to find um, small competitions. It sounds like for this particular athlete, it might be having a particular objective or goal that they're working towards in the summer motivates their training so it could be that you know even some small targets or um, finding some races in the winter might help with that 
could be you know you probably want it to be quite low key because people are always and people don't always want things to be objective at this time of year because it it gives us a clear marker of that we're not necessarily as fit as we are in the summer if we're, if most of our racing is focused on the summer so doing events that you've not done before on the trails where you don't really worry too much about what your position or your time is or anything but it still gives a focus for the training i think that there's some of the things i would recommend yeah anything you'd add mark well i've got loads on this but then shoot because <laughs> i was having this conversation with someone the other day and i put some stuff on facebook about it a conversation with athletes about it so my my take on this so what i what i see at this time of year it's just a lot of people who just cannot be asked going out the door. They just do not want to train. They can't get into the plan. And I think that Ian used a, a term when he said people being very task focused. And I think that's um, that's one of the problems that I see. So there is there is a training plan, a structured training plan, and then there is the going out of the door and getting into the routine, so to speak. So people are looking at these training plans with infinite detail and percentages of heart rate or percentages of power and minutes at this percentage and then recovery at this percentage. And there's lots of in detail stuff that's kind of irrelevant because they just can't even be bothered going out of the door and doing anything. And I think if it's more complex like that, there's even less chance than getting the head around it. So what I kind of told a lot of people to focus on at the moment is purely to get into a routine. So as Ian said, things they enjoy. So the routine might be for a triathlete, for example, because, you know, we have cyclists and runners listening to this podcast, but for a triathlete, how many times a week are you going to swim? If you're going to swim three times a week, when is it going to be? So let's say they pencil in, well, Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning, I can swim before work. And then Tuesday nights, I can do a turbo session. I can run on a Wednesday night, whatever. They plan the routine out and then just go and do it. So go to the pool on Monday morning, and if you swim 300 metres or 3,000 metres, it doesn't really matter. The content is less relevant. What's important is getting into the routine. Go and run at the time it says to run, and go and swim at the time it says to swim, and manipulate it to make it as enjoyable as possible. So if you just want to go for an easy run, if you want to go on your gravel bike or your mountain bike, do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter, but don't get bogged down with the detail, because I think people just cannot get into the routine. And making the, the, the sessions overcomplicated makes that worse. So pick whatever you want to enjoy. No feelings of guilt. So if you haven't done the prescribed workout, no guilt feelings at all. Just go and do whatever you feel like doing. As long as if it says you, you, you're running on a Tuesday evening, you just go and do some form of running on Tuesday evening. If it says you're swimming on Monday morning, you go and do some form of swimming on Monday morning. And what happens is that because they've got to motivate themselves to do it, but eventually you can't motivate yourself 24 7 365 days a year that routine will, will soon become habit within three or four weeks it'll be habit and you'll just be into the routine and I think that you know the winter blues and you talk about people after Ironman races getting the Ironman blues because they've built up this big event and then they're not doing anything I just think you know humans are kind of creatures of habit and they need routine and triathletes get into a routine and then the routine just gets ripped away from them after a big race like an Ironman. And they're just lost because they're not in that, they've not got that routine to stick. We know about routines and mental health and all that kind of stuff. So, so I'd say to people at the moment, do what you enjoy. No feelings of guilt. Minimal structure. Don't worry about the session content or task focused, as Ian said. Just go and turn up and do as little or as much as you want. Manipulate it so it's as enjoyable as possible. 
with other people, on your own, whatever you want to do. Get the routine as a habit. And if you manage that over the next two months, then you can start thinking, OK, I'm now going to add structure to this session. And now I'm going to start doing interval workouts or whatever it may be. And I'm going to get more worried about looking at numbers or heart rates or something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I often say to some of mine, you know, those athletes who they do like some sort of detail beyond just swim, bike, run. The plan might be something that's really range based, you know, 20 to 40 minutes, easy to steady effort. So they know, depending on where they sit as far as motivation and time, then then they've yeah. got a little bit more structure. Um, yeah. I, I always use... Um, and I, I nicked it off a friend from a gym context, but it, it applies to this. But I quite like the phrase, mix it up like a Mexican. Yeah. If you think if you think of Mexican food, it's pretty much always the same ingredients, just made and manufactured different ways to make different dishes. So, so you can still do the stuff you've normally done, but it's just have a bit of chaos in there, mix it up a little bit. Don't worry about how, how it might look. Yeah. Um, and then my final one on that one would be potentially sometimes I open the wardrobe door and see let them see Narnia on the other side so I might say to someone this is what potentially Jan Feb March might look like as far as your training plan so the reason we need to do what we're doing now is to lay the foundations to get to there so it might feel a bit mundane it might feel a bit boring it might not feel like it's got purpose but if you don't do this now you're not going to be in a position to absorb what we need you to then and, yeah. and, and with certain people particularly ones I've worked with for a while that, that little exposure to, oh, okay, it has got a purpose. I just don't feel it has. Um, and we're trying to get you to that. that that's a nice one. Yeah. Um, just to sort of pick up on one thing that Mark mentioned as well, the other thing that we haven't mentioned there, uh, integrating things into you, the rest of your life really does help in forming those habits. So if yeah. it's possible to do it as part of a commute, that is a guaranteed way of getting lots of volume in without even thinking about it because you don't question it's just part of your daily routine so if you can run or cycle commute that's another way of getting integrating into your life but getting a lot of sort of pace miles in in the winter without really having to work or think too much about it yeah yeah i mean if you're trying to fit in like six to ten sessions a week for some triathletes are you know some training once a day maybe twice a day on some days i think like you know mike just make this point here about um you know, opening the uh, wardrobe door and showing them Narnia. So this is what it's going to look like in Jan Feb. So Jan Feb, we're going to be doing these kind of intervals or this kind of work and more of this. And this work now is prep. But I, I see that just take the, the, the training, the workload itself, the session detail, just forget any of that. I think the biggest prep is just, just regularly turning up to the pool. So it's very hard to say to people, right, you need to fit these 10 sessions around your life and they need to become routine. And on top of that, there's this much structure and detail in there as well. For me, that, that template, that base is just getting them to do something at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday, to go to the pool at 8 p.m. on a Wednesday, whatever it is. And once they've got that template sorted and they're just turning up, you can then start adding the more complex sessions. But I, I also think with, um, with a, a lot of triathletes and runners, it's just this complete lack of flexibility as well. So they get home from work and the training plan, the coach set them a training plan, which says, I don't know, six times three minutes VO2 max efforts. And they just can't face doing six by three minutes at VO2 max because they've had a hard day and they're just a bit tired. So there's no flexibility. So if I can't do that, then I'll just sit on the couch and I just won't do anything. 
you know, that there has to be that flexibility of just doing something is always a hundred times better than nothing. Just sit on the bike for 30 minutes and pedal easy because you're still sticking to the routine. You're still cycling at six o'clock on a Tuesday if you get on for 30 minutes and pedal easy. And then get rid of this complete guilt trip that the training plan can sometimes add this sort of Damocles, the pressure on the shoulders of, no, you were supposed to do six times three minutes of VO2 and you have now failed. You know, it's just way too early for that. That's that's a ticket to burnout by January, February, as far as I'm concerned. There has to be flexibility and there has to be zero guilt if you switch sessions. But just do something, because if you do something, you are following the routine. It's becoming habit that you're cycling at 6 p.m., you're swimming at 7 a.m., whatever it may be. Mm. One um, one pitfall I do see when people put those, you know, Tuesday night and doing this, Wednesday night and doing that, which is something people should be aware of, is it's easy sometimes to outsource that accountability. So I'll go to the running club on Tuesday and do whatever session they're doing. I'll go to the tri club swim session on Wednesday. And as much as that does do what we're asking you to do, sometimes those things don't correlate well, they don't com- um, complement each other. So if that's a strategy someone listening is thinking of, just be careful that that's not, well, I'm doing hard stuff and very specific stuff indirectly that conflicts with each other because it feels on paper like, well, you just said do the same thing all the time. So I'll go yeah. to the pool on Tuesday and I'll do my run club on a Wednesday. Just just be cautious with that stuff if, if you're listening and that's a thought. We're talking about making sure you enjoy your sessions. And I think training with others you know, if you if you want to go for a three hour cycle every Sunday morning and you know you're going to meet up with friends, that's a really good way to ensure that you turn up because your friends are turning up and you're all going to meet and go for a run on Saturday or whatever it may be. So I think arranging to meet others, doing it socially is a great way to, to help you stick to a routine because they're waiting for you at the pool or you're waiting for them. But you're right. It has to be on your terms. So if your plan is I'm going to ride two or three hours easy on a Sunday, then joining a cycling club who smashed the legs off you for five hours is not the way to go. So, yeah, friends, I, I definitely think a massive bonus and meeting with others. But as you've just said, rightly, it has to be on your terms, not on their terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So the, the next area I thought would be a good one to chat about is, is <clears throat> planning the next season and um, setting your goals at this time of year. And obviously a lot of people, lots of people do it different ways, but something I'm always pushing to people is spending time reviewing previous training diaries. What went well? What didn't go well? Where did you feel good and bad in your last season or particularly your last winter training and, and trying to scratch between the, the surface, deeper than the surface? What was happening at that time in your life that may have influenced it going well or bad? And can we replicate or change those things moving forward what um what do you guys do personally and what do you do with the athletes around you as far as strategies to set goals for next season and review previous training i'll let you answer <laughs> well i was just going to say yeah just to sort of build on what mike had said in terms of that review of the um that the past year is essential isn't it review of the past year in terms of where strengths and weaknesses are because people often like to train to their strengths uh and, and make their strengths better because that's 
we're going back to the previous conversation, often people enjoy working on things that they're good at. But actually, if your goal for next year is to improve, then obviously working on your weakness is important. So you need to be quite objective, I think, in terms of looking at different components of your training. So if it's tri or, or your competitions in the past year. So if it's triathlon, you know, which element are you losing the most time on uh, across the three? Um, what did your training look like across those? Um, what was more successful for you in that training? Um, and also, as well as reviewing that, and if it's if it's running, you know, were you more successful at the shorter events, the longer events? Because that'll give you an indication of where your strengths and deficits were. Were you better on the road or were you better on the trail? What are your goals for next year and how does that, you know, and what do you want to uh, achieve? But where you are currently is obviously an important aspect of that as well. So, you know, you, you need to do some, at least some sort of fitness test currently um, if it's triathlon across all three disciplines because you need your training in the coming months needs to be based on where you are right now um, not where you are in the summer and where you want to be next year and then understanding the, the goals for the athlete and the objectives for the next year and then looking at the two and comparing the two where are they currently what did they achieve last year because that gives you an idea of where they can get to and how does both of those things match with where they would like to be next year? And that gives you an idea if the goals are realistic. Because if we're you know, setting the bar too too high or potentially too low, then uh, that has implications. Um, yeah, it's a conversation with the athlete, isn't it, to understand, you know, do you maybe you want to push yourself a little bit further? You maybe not um, extend yourself here, or you know, not sure that given where you are currently, that's a realistic objective. That might be absolutely everything goes perfectly well you might get there but actually your goals probably want to be set a bit lower it might actually set people up for injury as well if they're you know setting the bar too high so yeah they, they would be my main considerations at this point i think yeah for, well for me what people should be doing at this time of year um i can't agree with ian really the, the biggest thing I think is missing in a lot of people is this kind of just a self-assessment or self-awareness of what the strengths and weaknesses are. And like Ian said, that a lot of people like to work on their own strengths because they, they like to do what they're good at. But I'm not actually sure that people even know that's their strengths. I think they just naturally do the things that they're good at. I don't think they're sat there thinking, this is my weakness, this is my strength, I'm going to focus on my strength. They just gravitate towards the strengths because that's just what people do. I think a lot of people are just completely unaware of their own weaknesses and strengths and there's some like really really simple tests that people can do so i would just say people just have a ponder about you know what you feel you're good at and what you're bad at so like as an example of the people we coach we kind of have these what we call these two different pathways and i, I think i've talked about this before in podcasts but i'll give you like a, an example to someone who's maybe one end of the spectrum let's say you've got some people coming to you and they're training for an ironman triathlon one person comes to you and says, I've done 35 Ironman races um, and they've all been around 15, 16 hours and they do lots and lots of long, slow stuff. Ultra runners can quite often fall into this category. So they do loads and loads of long, slow stuff. But when you do a test with them, a physiology test in the lab, the peak power is very poor, but they can keep going at a very low power output for a long, long time. And psychologically, they're good at that as well. You know, they're strong. They're quite happy to sit on the bike for eight, nine hours, whatever. So they knock out these Ironman races in 16 hours, one after the next, after the next, or run these marathons in five to six hours, one after the next, after the next, every weekend. And then the other end of the scale, 
you have the guy maybe, let's say they've packed in rugby and they take up triathlon and they want to do an Ironman. They get on the bike and on a maximal 10 second sprint or a maximal one minute power, three minute power, they're absolutely off the chart. But you know, if they did a two hour ride, they'd be hanging off the back within an hour and a half, two hours, even at a slow pace, because their economy is very, very poor. So you've got these people who can produce massive amounts of power, but have no aerobic economy and so endurance, if you want to call it that. And then these people who can go all day at a very slow pace, but have absolutely no peak power. And then you've got the ones who are somewhere in the middle who are probably balanced. And you can apply that to swimming, cycling, running, any of those sports. Um, and, and I think we try and do an assessment and the physiology assessments back it up. Where are you on that spectrum? So are you running 17 minutes for 5K and one of the fastest in your club, but you're only just ducking under four hours for a marathon? You know, can you ride absolutely all day on the bike? And if it's 100 miles, you tend to be dropping your friends in the last 30, 40 miles. But your speed over 10 miles is very, very poor. Just having to think about yourself and doing those basic assessments and then just getting an understanding then from that of potentially what you need to work on over the winter. So I, I, I think that people just don't do enough physiological assessment or just self-assessment. And I think they have poor awareness of what their own strengths and weaknesses are. Mm. Which is a lovely segue onto the, ne the next topic, which is, is off the back of a question that Simon submitted. So Simon said that um, he's a triathlete. He wants to work on the technical components that often we uh, neglect or don't have time for in season. So bike handling, uh, management, mechanical management of the bike, um, some of those things. Can we make any suggestions of things we would focus on or do or signpost to any resources that could help for these? So um, what's your thoughts on those, gents? Is it a good time in the winter for people to be focusing on that? Just to clarify, when you say technical, are we talking technical as in like technique for the sports or? Yeah, so, so things like um, an ultra runner working on navigation, for example. Uh, a cyclist or triathlete working on some of the mechanical management. What if my chain breaks? What if my tire punctures? Um, swimmers working on sighting and navigation rather than fitness based performance metric sessions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, when Mark was talking on the previous question, I started thinking about, you know, we, we, we think about um, our strengths and weaknesses in terms of physiological terms across different disciplines if it's uh, multi-sport but we also need to think outside of the physiological as well so and these are some examples of that I was thinking actually in terms of, sort of nutrition might be one or psychological preparation but you know technique technique um, would be another one and yeah some of the me mechanical issues and co dealing with those um, yeah, in the heat of the moment. Uh, yeah, navigation. If you're interested, especially if you're interested in yeah um, events where you need to be able to navigate. A lot of trail events now you don't need that. But if there's a if you're wanting to move to those sort of events, it's a huge component of performance being able to navigate quickly. And yeah, the winter great time for uh, focusing on all of those. So I think when you're doing that review of the previous you know past year and it could be past years. Where are you seeing a consistent pattern um, in in races that haven't gone well, and races that have gone well? You know, where what's the difference? You know, have you done something different in terms of nutrition or preparation, 
psychologically um we, you know when were you in the best frame of mind and why might that be and in terms of your build-up um quite often it can things completely outside of sport that might influence the frame of mind you arrive at an event at in which case do you need to start taking two or three days off work before an air goal race so that you haven't got that stress right up to it because you hear a lot of people work right up to the event and then maybe have a few days off after it but actually can be beneficial the other way around um but yeah i think all of those especially things that uh i mean maybe the sighting in swimming is the one that's probably the more difficult one to do in the winter unless you really like swimming in cold water um but i think all of the other ones are ones that you can certainly be developing those skills and i think in terms of resources i think it really depends on the area that you're looking to develop but now's the time where you've probably got time to be watching videos and reading materials um but making sure that you're reading the right sources so i would recommend you know putting things on your christmas list for textbooks not necessarily um trolling the internet because you'll just get pulled in all sorts of different directions on the internet and maybe be left with more questions than answers at the end of it um whereas if you if you find some good resources the internet might be a good place for people to recommend books and resources but not necessarily the place to find the information unless you know that you've got a very good source there i agree i think um when we talked about that first point about the the routine and trying to be comfortable and not worrying about what you're doing in the session rather than just doing the session I think that's perfect then if you, you know, how many, I, I know we're not talking so much um, drafting in races, but even in the summer when people are out in large groups, there's a lot of people who aren't competent or, or confident in group riding situations. So go out in small groups, you'll ride a shorter ride, less time, less mileage, and you'll be able to spend more brain power focusing on learning to ride wheel to wheel and close to people learn you know work on as, as well as far as much as the weather allows you to descending ascending um and it's why i'm so deliberate in making sure people review what's been happening before you know so you struggled last year in a sense running or, or cycling what was your training like okay well it was missing those so let's put those in or whatever obviously the the, the go-to one i'm going to throw at in the off season is, is make sure you address some of those injuries the niggles the things that may have been things that were patched up and, and got you to start and finish lines through the season. Now's the time to really try and make sure we can address those and, and get them all sorted. Um, but I think there's lots of ways that we can have overlap with some of these issues we're, we're chatting about. I know certainly a number of triathletes that I, I, I um, speak to that will, you know, the relief in their face, every race from racking the bike, knowing the the sort of ticking time bomb that was a mechanical problem they dodged the bullet again and of course there's some mechanicals you can't do anything about it's the end of your race but if you're shitting bricks for want of a better word in case you get a puncture in case your chain snaps buy a book of how to do basic bike mechanics and, and spend the winter working and practicing them sit in front of your telly whipping your tire on and off 10 times um, you know, I remember, and this is probably a bit too geeky for most, but in my early 20s, I volunteered in a bike shop every Saturday morning for about three hours for free. So they showed me how to do some mechanical stuff um, just just to try and, and it was controlling the controllables. I was scared that was something I couldn't deal with in a race. And then I suddenly could. So, so, so those are definitely things I think um, 
are important there. Mark, have you got anything on that one? I mean, I, I, I just, well, I just agree with what you both said, really, but going back to that point Ian made before about training plans, and he said something on the lines of how it's everything's physiologically focused. And it is, it is true that the training plans have become more and more uh, narrow focused. It's purely physiology and becoming very, very clinical. Um, whereas, so, you, you know, session plans where you, you'll just be riding indoors uh, because it's more controllable indoors and it'll be every minute has to be at a certain percentage of a certain heart rate or power. And then your recovery is timed perfectly. Your recovery has to be a minute. You can't have a recovery of 43 seconds. That would be nonsense. It has to be a round figure. And everything is clinical. And you'd ride indoors because it's better. It's better quality. And But then that's just not cycling specific. That's not what happens. That's not riding on a road where you've got different road surfaces and undulations and downhills and uphills and corners and bad weather and good weather and all of those kind of things. It's so they're trying to make it more clinical and it's more specific. It may be more specific to a certain physiological stress, but it isn't more specific to cycling. And people are just, you know, it, there's a much simpler way of doing this. If, if you want to be good at riding long distances on hilly bike courses, go and ride long distances on your bike on a hilly bike course where you have to corner and descend in all weather conditions and those kind of things. Get used to being out the saddle and in the saddle. You know, it's just become too clinically focused and, there's, we're not taking anything else into account, the technical, the bike handling skills, the punctures, the weather, any of this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I, 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 you know, more and more over the years, I've, I've, you know, you talked about routine then, Ian, and more and more over the years, I've just become to realise of how much is governed by sports psychology. Because if you, if you say to an athlete, tell me about sports psychology, the first thing they will say is, um, they'll think about mental toughness. Okay, mental strategies on race day, goal setting, and all this... There's key things they'll come up with straight away. But we're talking about people who just can't even get into a routine. They can't be flexible with what's planned on the session. If they're trying to change a session and miss a session, they've got extreme feelings of guilt or anxiety or I've missed that session. None of that's got anything to do with physiology. That's all got to do with people's mental state in the head. You know, no. an easy ride on Sunday, but they can't resist smashing themselves and racing other people. Just the most base, basic psychological things people struggle with. They can't just go out and get into a routine and not feel guilty about missing sessions and not do basic sessions and simple sessions in their most simplest form. You know, there's just there is so much more than percentages, heart rates and sessions. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And there's so much more to psychology than just the psychological skills and techniques that people might use during a race. The psychology, as you say, is impacting people all the time. It's the people that you surround yourself when you're training and what their motivations and their goals are and how they respond to you. If you do, if you do change a session, how does how do the people around you respond? Yeah. You know, if they're responding negatively to that, you're less likely to do it. But if they're supportive of you making those decisions and being flexible, that will encourage you to be more flexible. Um, you know, perfectionistic tendencies where people just won't be flexible, um, influencing people when they, they have to follow the program, but not recognising that actually having that flexibility is a psychological skill and, a, you know, an, an ability in your psychology to be flexible and to adjust things because... If you're doing a long triathlon or an ultra distance running event, you're going to have to need to change your plan. You're going to need to be flexible. So be, developing that flexibility is actually benefiting you um, in the race as well. 
So yeah, there's, there's, and the goals that you set for yourself and whether they're sort of self-referenced in terms of um, you, your own abilities rather than comparing yourself to other people. And But the competitions you get involved in, like Swift and, uh, sorry, uh, Swift and so on, and when you're online, it's very sort of ego-oriented um, because it's all about comparing you to other people. So every time you're jumping on, you're doing that, and that's driving your goals towards that, whether you're aware of it or not. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Psychology is influencing people all the time. You know what people are reading online and you know, what they choose to be following on social media is all influencing how people approach the sport, but also how much they enjoy it. Yeah, um, that's not. We, we went off a bit of a tangent, and Simon wanted to know how to fix a puncture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we answer that? <laughs> so, so one one of the reasons we're on episode thirty-five, not episode three hundred and fifty, is juggling our three diaries is a bloody like, like trying to <laughs> catch snakes, isn't it? So we're a little bit time pinched, I know. we got three questions left to answer, so it's time to cash in all that Tweets of the Week experience. For 45-second answers to the last three questions. And then right. what we'll do is we'll finish off with our top three tips each for people to take away. So first question, one for you to it first, Mark. Yeah. Um, what would you recommend to help people, particularly over that difficult period of the Christmas period. So balancing work, family, training through winter, particularly over Christmas. Okay, so first of all, be flexible. Because I would say, well, look, plan your week out, but you probably can't plan your week out because you don't know what's going to happen over that week. So be flexible. Second thing, when you have the time available and you know you have the time available, go straight out of the door don't think about it go and do it third thing when you go and do it it doesn't matter what you do even if you just go and sit on the bike for 30 minutes and when you can in the garage or you go for a 15 minute run just go and do it because you'll feel so much better and you won't just be sat around for the rest of the day wishing that you'd made the decision earlier Ian? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Make the best use that you can of the time that you've got available would be the one for me. So identify what is that you want to get out of the session. Make the What's the best use you can make of that time to do it and then do that session when the time's available and make the best of it. Yeah, whatever that time window is. Yeah. And I think the, the thing that all three of us are pushing towards there is be realistic. So many people think I've got a bit of time off Christmas. I'm going to train harder than I think and I'll burn off those mince pies. Then they just get frustrated because what they really thought they were going to do and what they can do are, are two different things. So I like to, with some athletes that are super motivated, I'll actually build them up quite a hard couple of weeks prior to Christmas or a hard couple of weeks coming out of the new year just to say, look, it's a recovery block over Christmas. So we're only looking at doing this and this because I know I don't want it to be a pressured situation for yourself. Um, question two, which is a nice one. This is a bit of a, of a different one for us. What are your tips for those who are actually in heavy training through winter because they have early 2023 A races coming up? So we talked generally so far about the off-season for the general summer athlete spring and, um, and autumn athlete races. But what if someone is trying to really get to a big race now? What would you recommend over the coming weeks and months? Is this for me? Anyone. Okay. Well, I would say, I'm going to pick an example of this, Ironman Lanzarote in May. Okay, a couple of people training for Ironman Lanzarote. 
I would say that you might have to accept that if you've entered an early season race, such as Ironman Lanzarote, you cannot do the same training and prepare as well as you could if you'd entered something in July. You have to be realistic. You can't do the same training in January, February, March that you could have done in May, June, July, for example. You can't own water swim before May, probably, unless you're going to dive in and it's freezing. It's difficult to get out on the bikes. It might be icy. So you're going to have to make some alterations and you're going to have to accept that you might not be able to do what you actually wanted to do or that you could potentially do if you entered a race in July. Ian? Um, He's gone. Sorry, yeah, just um, someone some at the door again. Um, yeah, so my tips would be, we said earlier about training with other people and social groups uh, and that being a really useful thing to do. This might not be the time to do it because your training is unlikely to match up with other people. So if you are to do that, then you need to identify people that are training towards similar goals and a similar race. Um, because otherwise your training is just not going to be aligned with the other people that you're training with. Um, and that's that's just going to lead to either you being frustrated and not getting what you want out of sessions or other people. So I'm not saying don't train with other people and train socially at any time, but make sure that when you are doing that, it fits with what your objectives are um, for your training. Cool. Yeah, I completely agree with those. Um, I'm always a big fan this year of, of being very adaptable and non-traditional for things. So if you're an ultra runner and you've got an early season race, and as we've said, getting on the hills, getting outside is just not feasible with the daylight hours and, and the environments and climates, then thinking of the non-traditional approach what if you did a couple of hours on the treadmill followed by an hour or two outside might be a, a whole lot more enjoyment than trying to do a four hour five hour run in the dark cold and wet if you're um if you're planning your race calendar maybe it looks very non-traditional you might be really wanting to work on your swim but you you have this sort of overload swim period after christmas into the into the better weather which is complemented now by some real good strength conditioning work for the shoulders and upper limbs and it wouldn't look as mark said like that same plan training for a july or august race it would be slightly the jigsaw pieces would be around slightly different and it would be strange for many traditional athletes to look at and go oh that looks all a bit weird but it would work for you this time of year and then the final one which comes really to, to um we're moving into spring into the sort of March, April time and moving out of it. For those now who, for want of a better word, have hibernated with their training through the winter, what is your suggestions, recommendations to consider as they start to creep out and go back to what we would consider normal, so to speak? Do, do you want me to go first? Well, just, yeah. I can go if you want. I mean, for me, it's uh, establishing the routine you want to get to rather than the volume you want to get to first. So even, you know, if you're a runner and you want to be running, you know, six, seven times a week, you need to get to a point where you can run six or seven times a week. So it goes back to what Mark was saying earlier. But when you start out, you might be running two or three miles per session, you know, obviously starting from where you're at um, and what your current fitness is. But whatever's realistic within that. Start where you're at, but uh, and it might not be that you start at six, seven sessions a week. You know, you start at three, but 
build the number of sessions you want to get to first before you build the volume into the sessions. Whereas if you people tend to feel as though if they aren't going out and doing, you know, seven, eight, nine miles in a run, it's not worth going out. But if you start with three, you know, three or four of them and then you start adding in a couple more, it's adding a lot more each time. It's much easier to add the number of sessions and get that routine and that pattern to your training before you start building the, the volume into them. That'd be my recommendation. Cool. I, th I think with me, it's the subtle things. And all of this thing for me comes from um, the banana skins that I see people creeping into clinic with. So two really good examples is, is the transition from what you do indoors through the winter doesn't correlate straight away to going outside. So the ultra runner that can comfortably absorb three hours watching Netflix on the treadmill, who now thinks I can suddenly hit the roads for three hours or hit the hills for three hours and, and completely miss um, gauges and misrepresents and understands the difference in physiology and forces of impact and tolerance. It's the cyclist who can do three, four hours on Zwift or on their, their turbo at home, thinks they can whip the TT bike out and start hitting every sessions outside and then surprised why they've got some back pain, some wrist pain, some hip pain, because they've just suddenly thought they could just switch and take this from this and dump it outside and, and expect the same results. For you, Mark? To be honest, nothing to add. I would just say exactly what you both just said. Oh, that was an easy one. So, wrapping it all up, let's go down to, if, if, the, if the listeners only listen to the next five minutes as, as their overarching summary of our thoughts and, and considerations around winter training, what would be your three top tips, a bit like tweets of the week, um, for any endurance athlete approaching winter? This is going first. You want me to go? One each. Should we do one each? Okay, yeah. Around that way. That? Oh, I had three then. <laughs> you probably, <laughs> well, probably all got the same three, but I'm going to be Mark. Number one from you, Mark. <laughs> go on, Ian. Yeah, okay. Um, obviously, we've discussed goal setting and that being a key thing at the moment. So, essential part of goal setting is to connect, as we said earlier, connect the past, the present, and the future. Where you've got to in the past, great indicator of where you can get to. Need to know where you're at now because that gives you what's realistic over the coming months. And you need to know where you want to get to. And those three need to be aligned for effective goal setting and for an effective training program. So that's one of my definite top tips that I want to um, reiterate. Mark number one. The first one, routine. Yeah. So just forget the content of the sessions for now. Because, as we said earlier, people just can't be asked going out the door. So the content of the session is irrelevant. And sessions are becoming way too complicated, as we've said many times on this podcast. It's someone's job to make the content complicated because it adds more value to it. Financial value, I would say, so they can charge you more. It's more complicated. So basically, just a routine. What are you going to do? When are you going to do it? So what times? What days? Where are you going to do it? And with who? Set yourself a routine. And then just go and stick to that routine. The content specifically of the session is not relevant for the moment. Cool. So my, my first one, my number one one, and they're not in any order of importance, would be um, spend more time reviewing previous training plans, previous previous training blocks, what you've done in other winters for what went well and what went bad. And if you're someone who's listening going, I don't really do that, 
use it as a perfect time now to start. I think we all look forward and we all look at the short term metrics of what we've been doing recently. That's what the watches make us fall into the trap of is how am I doing right now? None of us take the time, particularly, you know, with a with an hot chocolate and your feet up in front of the telly, looking through some of those training data. More and more people are recording buckets of training data. And it, and it could be subjective or objective. How are you feeling at this time of year? How, what were you eating? What were you doing? How was your sleep? Things like that can be really, really important at planning what we do this winter. So we're on to number two. It's going to get difficult now. We can't we can't repeat anything someone else has said. Ian, number two. Yeah, my, my number two sort of goes back a little bit to what we were saying earlier, but focus more on uh, the development of, sort of psychological skills. So we mentioned that you know, a lot of people think about psychology and they think about the use of psychological skills and techniques during performance. And there might be some intention to do that next year to, to because they've identified this, these areas that they've been weak uh, in the past. So they might think, yeah, I want to start using imagery, self-talk, so developing mantras or you know, in a specific situation when this happens, this is how I want to respond. So um, I want to use those techniques, those skills, particular skill next year. If you want to do that, now now is the time to start developing the ability to do that. What people often do is they wait until the competition's there or the stressful situation. Right, I'm going to use some breathing techniques now. Right, I'm going to use image and the put the asking themselves to use something new in the most challenging circumstances if you want to develop those skills then start doing it progressively through the winter so you incorporate it in developing your ability with the technique now then incorporating it within sort of low level competition and then into your main competitions next year so if you want to develop your psychological skill then you need to start planning and working on it now cool getting tough now mark number two I'm going to call this one more flexibility and less guilt. That's what I'm going to call this one, Mike. So I like the guilt. Guilt's a great word, isn't it? Yeah, more flexibility, less guilt. When you do, so I've said you need to plan your routine in tip one. When you're then planning the session content, the session content, you need like a rough idea of what you're going to do because there's nothing worse than turning up to the pool or turning up for a run and thinking, right, what shall I do? So just have a bit of a rough idea of what you're going to do doesn't need massive detail as i said earlier on just put a rough idea of what you're going to do so you turn up and you start doing it basically and you're not stood there thinking about it for 20 minutes but you have to be flexible so what do you feel like doing you can alter it and be very flexible but critically you need to be flexible without having any guilt because i see this far too much that people skip a training program that has been prescribed for them and feel dreadful because they didn't do the prescribed session. You need to get away with uh, get away from that completely. That is absolute nonsense. So have a rough idea what you're doing in the sessions. Be completely flexible. Try and do stuff you pick stuff you enjoy because you're far more likely to be consistent with something if you enjoy doing it. But there should be zero guilt if you change that session. If you if it says do an interval session and you just want to do a 30 minute easy ride, who cares? Do not feel guilty about it. I like that. Cool. My second one is probably one that's I think really overlooked, um, and that and that is as a priority this time of year. Two things you really need to be focusing more time on is staying healthy and staying safe. See too many people this time of year not thinking about the environment, the climate, the terrain, the weather. 
where it's that time of year we're all picking up illnesses and I see people trying to smash themselves through training while they've got coughs, colds and bugs. We don't think about some of the risk assessments and the precautions of the weather that we're going to go out in and so on and so on. It's a time of year where, you know, you could write off next season by just going out on the wrong route at the wrong day, slipping on some ice. And, and we've always got risks, obviously, all year round. But I see people make needless mistakes this time of year. I've had so many people over the years, you know, they were aiming for a world champs or something next year. And now they're sitting in the clinic with a fractured hip because they just wanted to do a certain ride on a certain day that just should have been an indoor ride instead or could have waited a week until the weather changed. So stay healthy, stay safe. It's a priority. The plan is to help make 2023, not break 2023 this time of year. Yeah. And then we're on to the final ones. Ian. Yeah, my third one is uh, try something different. And I know I mentioned this in response to the first listener question from Ian, I think it was where I said about, you know, it can help with people enjoying their training more if they're doing something different. And that's definitely one benefit of it. So I would definitely recommend it for that reason. But the other reason is if it's something different, it's probably challenging you physically, physiologically in a different way as well. So if you don't normally do weights, start to put a couple of weight, you know, strength sessions in a week, that's going to give you something different to what your body has been challenged with in the past. So there's um, performance benefits as well. If you only ever run on the road, getting out on the trails is going to challenge you in a different way. Cadence is different, footing's different. You've got the sapping nature of the under, underfoot conditions that are all challenging you in a different way. You've got the steep uphills and downhills that you'll never find uh, on tarmac or very rarely. So you're going to challenge yourself and your body will adapt to those. And that can make you a more complete athlete before you go into the more specific training for next year. Mark? Final one, isn't it? Three right now. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to say spend this winter developing a little more mindfulness. Now, you might say Ian's always already said work on sports psychology, and that's why I'm calling it mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm not saying the same as what Ian said. But I would say that perhaps <laughs> quite a lot of people maybe need to just spend this winter working on mindfulness, not sports psychology, definitely not sports psychology. Because if you are struggling to get into a routine, if you're just struggling to go out of the door, if you're struggling to pick those sessions and find enjoyment in the things that you're doing, if you're struggling to switch off the data, if you struggle to be more flexible, if you're feeling guilty, if you don't do the session that's prescribed, all of those things, that's not healthy going forwards long term. So you might want to question if, if you see some of that in yourself, you perhaps need to question why that's happening. And that's something that you perhaps should be conscious of and try and work on over the next three to four months, because it's not healthy and it's also not a great foundation for you to be carrying forward when the harder training starts to kick in. So perhaps just be a bit more mindful and work on your mindfulness over the next two months. I like that. And, and the other take on from, from Mark's selling point of that is that anyone who's going to get animosity at home for buying another pair of running shoes is if you say you're going to buy some rubber soles with laces attached, they're not the same as shoes. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. And I just, I, I just want to say as well, um, 
if anybody does come to the endurance store or Croston Cycles comes to one of our shops, um, we can write out receipts for whatever amount you want. <laughs> think Ten pounds. Social, social factors. Ten pounds to some alpha flies. <laughs> that service is available. Nice. A, a rarely found service anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then my final tip is um, I'm going to cheat and put two in one. Um, it's it's having fun in the time that you've got available. So a lot of people take winter training way too serious because they worry about the time they wish they had or don't have available instead of just having fun in the time you've got. You might have an opportunity to run with friends, colleagues, family, that when everyone's training hard for their various races and at their various levels, isn't something that's feasible in the summer and the spring. But this time of year now, you might be able to enjoy a run with someone a bit older, a bit younger, a bit faster, a bit slower, go for bike rides with people of different abilities. And if you can only do it for so far, so long, enjoy what you've got available for you. Because it should, we, you know, we all enjoy and have fun in our sports, but we probably don't have that much fun as we should in it at the moment because we, we enjoy the, do, the, the performance elements of it rather than just being fit, young, healthy enough to to go out there and do it. So um, so try and have fun and it'll get you through the winter, I think, in, in, a, in a far happier frame of mind. And then better set up to, to push harder in the spring and summer. So cool. I think this one's a nice one that if people have listened to the podcast, wherever we've shared it, keep yeah. chucking your questions in the comments. We can we can add some answers to there. Or of course, anything that we've discussed if you've got your own thoughts and takes, things that have worked, not worked for you in the past, chuck your comments in as well, because um, it'll help us all learn learn as well. Super. Yeah. Well, Ian's got to go. You've got a lecture now, Ian? No, just a, another meeting. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, I've got one at, at two o'clock, so like uh, a bit later. And then stop. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I thought that was quite good. I quite enjoyed that podcast, so. Yeah. Um. Same time next week, same time next fortnight. And uh, as, yeah, as Mike says, post your questions and send us your questions because we'll uh, we'll build them into the next podcast. Um, so for now, Ian, we'll let, we need to let you go, don't we, to get back to work. So thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. See you all See you soon. soon. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah.